0: This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, visit LibriVox.org. Robinson Crusoe, Written Anew for Children By James Baldwin Chapters 43 and 44 Chapter 43 I Make a New Boat i made up my mind to begin the new boat at once so the next friday i went with friday to find a good tree there were trees enough on the island to build a fleet but i must find one that was close to the water so that we could launch the boat when it was made at last friday found one he knew better than i what kind of wood was best for making a boat it was an odd-looking tree and, to this day, I do not know its name. Friday chopped it down. He cut off a part of it for the boat. He wished to build a fire on the top of it, and thus burn out the hollow part of the boat. But I showed him a better way, to chop it out with hatchets and chisels. In about a month it was finished. With our axes we cut and hewed the outside, till it was in a very good shape. Then we worked hard for two weeks to get the boat into the water. But when she was in, how well she floated! She would have carried at least twenty men. It was wonderful how well Friday could manage her. It was wonderful how fast he could paddle. "'Now, Friday,' I said, "'do you think she will carry us over the sea?' "'Yes, master,' he said." She will carry us even in the worst wind. My next care was to make a mast and a sail, and to fit the boat with an anchor and a rudder. It was easy enough to get the mast. I had Friday cut down a tall young cedar that grew near the place. He shaped it and smoothed it, and made as pretty a mast as you would wish to see. As for the sail, that was another thing. I had old sails, or pieces of old sails, in plenty. But they had been lying in this place, and in that, for six and twenty years. It would be a wonder if they were not all rotten. After a long search I found two pieces which I thought would do. I set to work, patching and stitching. It was slow work without needles, you may be sure. At last I had a three-cornered ugly thing, like a shoulder of mutton-sail, to be put up with a boom at its bottom part. I had also a little short sprit to run up at the top of the mast. It took two months to make the sails and the rigging as I wished. Then I put in a rudder to steer the boat. I was a poor carpenter, and I made a pretty rough job of it. Friday knew how to paddle a canoe as well as any man, but he knew nothing about a sail. He had never seen a boat steered by a rudder. We made several little voyages near the island, and I taught him how to manage everything about the boat. Much as I wished to go back to my own people, I could not make up my mind to try the long voyage across to the mainland. I had now been on the island twenty-seven years MY MAN FRIDAY HAD BEEN WITH ME ABOUT TWO YEARS, AND THESE HAD BEEN THE HAPPIEST OF MY LIFE. I HAD EVERYTHING TO MAKE ME COMFORTABLE AND HAPPY. WHY SHOULD I WISH TO GO AWAY? I HAD A GREAT LONGING TO SEE MY NATIVE LAND AGAIN, TO TALK WITH PEOPLE OF MY OWN RACE, PERHAPS TO VISIT MY KINDRED ONCE MORE. THIS LONGING I COULD NOT GET RID OF, DAY OR NIGHT. But now new thoughts came into my mind. I felt that, in some way, I would soon escape from the island. Indeed, I was quite sure that I would not stay there another year. I cannot tell you what made me feel that way, but I seemed to know that some great change in my life was near at hand. Yet I went on with my farming as before. I dug, I planted, I reaped, I gathered my grapes, I DID EVERYTHING JUST AS THOUGH I HAD NO SUCH THOUGHTS. MY MAN FRIDAY WAS THE TRUEST OF HELPERS. HE DID ALL THE HEAVY LABOR. HE WOULD NOT LET ME LIFT MY HAND IF HE COULD HELP IT. THE RAINY SEASON AT LAST CAME UPON US, AND THIS PUT AN END TO MOST OF OUR OUTDOOR WORK. WE TOOK OUR NEW BOAT TO A SAFE PLACE SOME DISTANCE UP THE LITTLE RIVER. "'above the point where I had landed my rafts from the ship. "'We hauled her up to the shore at high-water mark, "'and there Friday dug a little dock for her. "'This dock was just big enough to hold her, "'and it was just deep enough to give her water to float in. "'When the tide was out, we made a strong dam across the end of it "'to keep the water out. "'Thus she lay high and dry on the bank of the river.' To keep the rain off, we laid a great many branches of trees upon her, till she was covered thickly with them; a thatched roof could not have protected her better. Little did I think that I should never see our boat floating upon the water again; for all that I know, she is still lying high and dry in her little waterproof dock. We were now kept indoors a great part of the time. BUT WE KEPT OURSELVES OCCUPIED PLEASANTLY, AND THE HOURS PASSED SWIFTLY. MY FIRST DUTY EVERY MORNING WAS TO READ SEVERAL CHAPTERS FROM THE BIBLE. THEN I INSTRUCTED FRIDAY IN SOME OF THE TRUTHS OF RELIGION. I WAS BUT AN AWKWARD TEACHER, BUT I DID MY BEST AND WAS HONEST. I BEGAN BY ASKING HIM ABOUT THE CREATOR. I ASKED HIM, WHO MADE THE SEA, THE HILLS, THE WOODS? THE GROUND WE WALKED ON. HE TOLD ME IT WAS ONE GREAT BEING WHO LIVED BEYOND ALL. I CONFESS, I COULD NOT HAVE GIVEN A BETTER ANSWER. HE SAID THAT THIS GREAT BEING WAS OLDER THAN THE SEA OR THE LAND, THE MOON OR THE STARS. THEN I SAID, IF THIS BEING HAS MADE ALL THINGS, WHY DO NOT ALL THINGS WORSHIP HIM? HE LOOKED VERY GRAVE. AND WITH HIS EYES FULL OF INNOCENCE, ANSWERED, ALL THINGS SAY O, TO HIM. THUS HE TAUGHT ME, WHILE I WAS TRYING TO TEACH HIM. CHAPTER Forty Four. I SEE A STRANGE SAIL I pass over some wonderful things that happened during my last year on the island, for I must not make the story too long. I WAS FAST ASLEEP IN MY CASTLE ONE MORNING, WHEN FRIDAY CAME RUNNING IN. Oh, MASTER, MASTER, HE CRIED, A BOAT, A BOAT. I JUMPED UP AND WENT OUT AS QUICKLY AS I COULD. I WAS IN SUCH HASTE THAT I FORGOT TO CARRY MY GUN WITH ME. I LOOKED TOWARD THE SEA. ABOUT THREE MILES FROM THE SHORE, I SAW A STRANGE BOAT COMING TO THE ISLAND. IT CARRIED A LEG OF MUTTON SAIL, AND WAS COMING SWIFTLY WITH THE WIND. Surely, I thought, this is not the kind of boat that savages sail in. Then I saw that it was coming not from the open sea on my side of the island, but from around a point on the south shore. I ran back to my castle and told Friday to stay inside and keep quiet till we could learn whether the people in the boat were friends or foes. Then I climbed up to my lookout on the top of the great rock. I looked out toward the south shore, and there I saw a ship lying at anchor. As nearly as I could guess it was about five miles from my castle, and at least three miles from the shore. It looked just like an English ship, and the boat was surely an English longboat. I cannot tell you how glad I was at the thought that some of my own countrymen were so near. Yet I felt strange fears and so it made up my mind to be very cautious. In the first place, what business could an English ship have in these seas? The English had no lands in this part of the world, they would not come here to trade. There had been no storms to drive the vessel to this place. The more I thought of the matter, the more I doubted. If these people were indeed English, they must be here for no good purpose." By this time the boat was quite near the shore. I could see the men in it quite plainly. They looked like Englishmen. As they came in, the tide was at its highest, and so they ran the boat far up on the beach about half a mile from me. I now counted eleven men, and all but three were armed with swords. As soon as the boat touched the land, the most of them jumped out. Then I saw that the three unarmed men were prisoners. Their hands were tied behind them, and they were closely guarded. As they were led on shore, they seemed in great distress, as though begging for their lives. When Friday saw all this, he cried out to me, "'Oh, Master, the white mans do just like savage mans with their prisoners.' "'Why, Friday,' I said, "'do you think that they are going to eat them?' ''Yes, yes,'' he answered, ''they are going to eat them.'' The prisoners were led far up the beach, and I expected every moment to see them killed. But soon their guards seemed to change their minds. They talked together for a little while. Then they untied the prisoners' hands and let them go where they pleased. The seamen scattered, some going this way, some that, as though they wished to see the country.'' BUT THE MEN WHO HAD BEEN PRISONERS SAT DOWN ON THE GROUND, AND SEEMED VERY SAD AND FULL OF DESPAIR. I THOUGHT THEN OF THE TIME WHEN I HAD FIRST LANDED ON THAT SHORE, HOW I HAD NO HOPE, AND HOW I GAVE MYSELF UP FOR LOST. AS I HAVE SAID, THE TIDE WAS AT ITS HIGHEST WHEN THE MEN CAME ON SHORE. THEY RAMBLED AROUND UNTIL IT HAD FLOWED OUT, AND LEFT THEIR BOAT HIGH AND DRY ON THE SAND. They had left two men with the boat to guard it. But the weather being very warm, these men had fallen asleep. When one of them awoke and found the water far out from the boat, he began to hello for help. All the men came running and tried to drag the boat out to the water. But it was so heavy that they could not move it. They tugged and pulled for a long time. Then I heard one of them shout, Let her alone, boys, she'll float all right when the next tide comes up. With that, they gave it up, and all strolled out into the country again. End of chapters 43 and 44 Read by Dennis Sayers in Modesto, California for LibriVox Spring 2006